Amen. Do you all believe that, that the battle belongs to the Lord? Amen. So, how do we live that way? What does it mean? I mean, it, it so easily flows from our lips. The battle's the Lord's. In Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you. You just simply need to remain quiet. It's like, come on, who's going to do that? When the enemy's coming at you, what's, what's it mean to be quiet? Certainly it doesn't mean to actually just sit there. What does it mean that the battle's the Lord's? It's so confusing sometimes to try to understand what exactly is our part. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? What does it mean to abide in Christ? Paul's going to tell us. So turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. We're studying a letter of Paul to a city in Turkey that Paul had never visited. He's writing to people he'd never met personally. Colossae was about 120 miles inland from Ephesus. Ephesus was on the western coast of Turkey, and uh, Colossae, like I said, is about 120 miles inland. Colossae was struggling with uh, people who were coming into town and telling the Colossian Christians that Jesus wasn't enough. And you need to realize just how tempting that was. I mean, when you're going through a dry period in your life with Christ, or you feel like you're not having quite the spiritual experience that you want to have, or that you maybe even think the Bible says you should have, and people start talking to you about, well, have, have you tried this? Have you tried that? Have you had this experience? And you find yourself, when you're struggling, more open to Jesus plus something, or Jesus and something. And that's exactly what was happening in Colossae. And it often happens in our day as well. And in response, Paul says, in Christ you have all you need. In Christ you need nothing else. You don't need to seek certain experiences that other people say they've had. You don't need to add anything to the work of Christ by adding your own works that you think is going to make you closer to God or have some kind of experience. Paul says in response, we simply need to walk in Christ. We simply need to abide in Him. Maybe an a illustration from my own life will help. You all know that on May 25th, uh, our whole neighborhood got uh, shellacked by a tornado. Hundreds of trees. It looked like God was playing pickup sticks and just throwing the trees everywhere. You couldn't get up our road. You couldn't get up anybody's driveway. And all of our power lines are above ground. And so they were all smashed. Power lines were down. So everything, of course, went dark. Now, thankfully, I had purchased this uh, 4,000 watt, 4 kilowatt uh, generator. I'd never used it before. 
And I cranked it up and it cranked up and I got a bunch of extension cords and there, there are like four outlets with two plugs each and I ran extension cords through the house and we had light and our, our chest freezer that has all our meat in it was, was keeping things frozen. We had a refrigerator that was working. This, I thought, okay, we're going to make it. And then two days later, our contractor came down our driveway pulling this machine And I had no idea what it was. And it was a diesel generator. 40 kilowatts. 40,000 watts. My little Ryobi, 4,000 watts. This diesel generator, 40,000 watts. You only need about 16 to 20 to run an entire house. So they cranked this thing up, see if it works, first of all. And it did. Then they shut it down. And what you need to know is that our entire electrical system had been ripped out of the house as far as where the the box is, the fuse box and the electrical going into the line. The meter box was off. And so they direct wired this puppy into the main line going into our service. And we had 40,000 watts of power. We were running everything as if we had power. We just turned on a switch, the light came on, turned down the air, the air came down. It was amazing. Just by plugging into that generator. Jesus Christ is the infinitely powerful generator. And abiding in Christ is resting in Him to stay connected to His power so that His power flows through us into every room of our lives. Home, work, marriage, friends, parenting, vocation, finances. You see, with my little Ryobi, I had a few outlets and I could plug certain things in one by one. And that's how some of us walk with Christ. There are certain big issues that we want to turn over to Him. And so we figure He's got power, so we'll, we'll plug this area in for now. And we'll plug that area in for now. But the fact is, the house is without power. There's just certain rooms or devices that have power. Of course, some of us have no power at all. We're in the dark because you don't yet know Christ. You haven't transferred your trust from your own efforts, your own works, your own record of righteousness to the obedient life and substitutionary death of Christ. And so you're in the dark. You have no power. There there is a generator, but you have nothing to do with it. And you need, and we urge you to join us as fellow sinners. Admit your helplessness and run to Christ and rest in His work. But you can be a Christian and not abide in Christ continually. You can be a Christian and only plug in a few areas of your life. Or you can choose to get hardwired so that His power flows through you in every single arena of life. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, abiding in Christ. So let's all stand out of reverence for God's Word.
And follow along, I'm going to start in verse 5, just so we can remember a little bit of what we talked about last week when we talked about union with Christ. That's us hidden in Christ and Christ in us. This is God's word. For though I am absent in body, again, remember, he never met these people. Yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised." with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, the circumcision Christ performs on you. How? Having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. You see that? These aren't Old Testament words. These are gospel words. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is a great passage. And it is inspired. It is infallible. It is inerrant. And it is authoritative. God gave it to us because he loves us. And he wants us to experience the full measure of the power of Christ in every single area of our lives. Let's pray. Father, there's so much confusion about abiding in Christ, about letting the battle be yours, about the spirit-filled life, about walking in you. And so, God, would you please clear up a lot of that for us today? In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So three guidelines Paul gives us to instruct us on how we abide in Christ. First of all, and this is the key point. Okay, if you're going to check out, don't check out now. This is the key point. Abide in Christ in faith. If you look at verse 6, Paul begins with the word therefore. Bible study 101. Whenever you come across a therefore... Always ask what the therefore is there for. The therefore always points back to what has just been said. And in the previous passage, as we looked at last week, Paul has been talking about our union with Christ. That through faith in Christ, we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. One baptism of the Holy Spirit. Don't let anybody tell you differently. 
one baptism of the Spirit. It takes place at conversion where the Spirit baptizes us into, unites us to Christ and all his finished work. But union with Christ isn't just us in Christ. Union with Christ is also Christ in us. And Paul says, in light of your union with Christ, therefore, verse 6, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, so abide in him. So let's go back there. How did you receive Christ Jesus? At some point, God opened your eyes and you realized not only are you a sinner because we constantly every day fall short of what God calls us, how God calls us to live, but hopefully at some time you even begin to understand that we're in covenantal relationship with Adam when we're born. He was our representative, our federal head in the flesh. And when Adam sinned. We all sinned in Adam because he was our representative. And then God opened our eyes that Jesus Christ is the second Adam. He's a new representative. And where Adam failed, Jesus succeeded. Jesus never disobeyed. Jesus always continually loved the Father perfectly and loved the neighbor perfectly. And he also took upon himself all of the curses of the law that our sin deserved. And at some point, God opened your eyes. He circumcised your heart. He baptized you in the Spirit. And the first free act of the new heart and the renewed will was to lovingly embrace Christ as he was offered to you in the gospel. That's the good news. Salvation by grace through faith in Christ. And Paul says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so continue to walk in Him. Do you see what he's saying? You keep doing the same thing you did when you were converted, only it also applies to transformation. It also applies to being hardwired into the power of Christ. You were saved through repentance and faith, and you walk in Christ through repentance and faith. Now look, I am not minimizing obedience here. As a matter of fact, I'm giving you the only sure on-ramp to obedience. Abiding in Christ doesn't happen when you obey. You abide in Christ by faith, the same way you were converted And as you abide in Christ by faith, by trusting the gospel promises, by continually looking into Christ, that then actualizes supernatural power in our lives that flows from abiding in Christ, and that leads to obedience. We have way too many people putting the cart before the horse. You do not abide in Christ by obeying. That doesn't minimize obedience. It actually maximizes it. Because when you abide in Christ, it releases power that leads to obedience. 
You can't obey apart from abiding in Christ. That's the point. That's why in John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And unless you abide in me and I in you, you will bear no fruit. He says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. So if people are trying to obey without abiding in Christ, or they think abiding in Christ means obeying, then they're headed for a powerless life. So Paul is so clear. And then he gives, for you grammarians, I know that some of you just eat this up, uh, four participles, four passive participles that relate to walking in him. Now, first of all, I want to remind you what it means to have a passive voice of the verb. It means you're not active. You're not running You're not lifting weights. That would be the active voice. But in verse 7, it says, you have been rooted. That's what the Greek says. I'm a little upset with this passage translation because it really doesn't bring out the passive tense, the passive voice as much as it should. And it doesn't bring out the perfect tense of being rooted. You have been rooted by God through grace. You have been rooted deeply into Christ by the power of God. In other words, you have been hardwired into the generator. It's done, and the perfect tense means it will continue to be so. Now, we still have to avail ourselves of that connection. We're going to talk about how to do that in a moment. So, you have been rooted. You are being built up. Passive voice. You're not building yourselves up. You are being, by God, through the Spirit, in the gospel, built up. It's something that is done to you. How? As you believe the gospel promises. And as you continually trust Christ, the way you did at salvation, to do a new work of power in your life today. You were established. You didn't establish yourself. You were passively. You were established in the faith, in the gospel. And you were taught. Again, passive. You didn't teach yourself. You were taught the gospel by others and the gospel, most importantly, by the Holy Spirit. See, what we're talking about here is something that is done to us as we receive it. Remember Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus? She didn't do anything to have Christ conceived in her. The angel simply told her that what was going to be conceived, passive, passive, passive voice, was going to be the Holy Spirit. Now, what was Mary's responsibility? There is a responsibility. What was Mary's responsibility? Faith. Be it done to me. Passive voice. Be it done to me. According to your word. According to your promise. This is what it means to abide in Christ. As you received Jesus, so now continually for the rest of your days walk in Him. 
How did you receive Jesus? Through repentance and faith. How do you walk in him? Through repentance and faith. And that repentance and faith actualizes supernatural power. See, this is what we got to get back to. The Christian life supernatural. The, the Christian life is not adopting and embracing new priorities in life. And yet there's so many people that think that's the Christian life. It's not. What makes the Christian life distinctively Christian is abiding in Christ. Trusting Christ from A to Z, from beginning to end. That's what makes the Christian life the Christian life. I've, I've used this illustration so many times, but I'm going to use it again. Because every time I use it, somebody says, I feel like I finally heard it today. So here's the illustration. Numbers 21. The people of Israel are in the wilderness and they rebel. They're grumbling against God. God says, sends poisonous snakes. They are bitten. The people are bitten and they start dying. <clears throat> Immediately they say, we have sinned. They run to Moses said, Moses, pray for us that the snakes might be taken away and the death might cease. Moses goes to God. God says to Moses, make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and if anyone looks at the bronze serpent, they will live. Now, it's not mechanical. It's so important you understand that. It wasn't a mechanical looking. It's the look of faith. In other words, if an Israelite who was bitten looked at the bronze serpent from the perspective of this is connected to God's promise. There's nothing magical about the serpent. It's God's promise that told me, if I look, I'll be saved. Now, physically, what happened? Real snakes, real people, real bites, bronze serpent. I get bitten. I look at the bronze serpent, meaning I'm trusting God's word. I'm trusting his power to work in me. And that look of faith released or actualized supernatural power that had the effect of neutralizing physical poison. Now look, that, that's pretty easy to comprehend. That's not tricky, right? If you think about the physical realm, real snakes, real bites, look of faith, oh yeah, real power neutralizes the poison you live. Paul is saying, just like Numbers 21, abiding in Christ, walking in Him, is constantly looking to Him in faith as your generator to release in your life, in all your areas of life, His resurrection power. We abide in Christ by faith. And as we abide, it actualizes supernatural power that motivates us and empowers us to live a life of obedience. Abide in Christ by faith. Secondly, abide in Christ in truth. Look at verse 8. See to it that no, no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to the elemental spirits of the world, rather than according to Christ. That, that word take you captive means kidnapped. Paul's we're going back right to verse 6 again. You were converted by repentance and faith. 
People want to kidnap you. Evil wants to kidnap you and take you away from Christ. And to have you substitute Christ with other means and mechanisms of trying to bring about a deeper deeper experience with Christ or a a deeper uh, experience of obedience or whatever it is that you're after. Paul's not against philosophy per se. He's against philosophies that would draw you away from Christ to a different object of hope. You see, there's so many people out there who do believe, as I believe these false teachers believed, Jesus does save you. But the Christian life is all up to you. See, they change the object of their hope. Jesus was the hope of their conversion, but their own efforts and strength and activity is the hope of their transformation. So Paul says, watch out. Because people are going to try to kidnap you. The world's going to try to kidnap you. The evil's trying to kidnap you. And it's empty deceit. In other words, there's no value to it at all. According to human tradition, he's talking about the Pharisees for one. In Matthew 15, 1 to 20, Jesus says to the Pharisees, you set aside the commandment of God for your own traditions. It's, it's adding things to God's word. In order that, this is key, in order that you might use the Christian life as a magic lamp or a rabbit's foot. And if you learn how to rub it just right, magic happens. And your life all of a sudden works. And your problems go away. Now, do you see how tempting this would be in times of struggle? In times of trouble? In times of trial? You see, it's in times of, of, uh, tr- it's in times of trouble that we're, we're most susceptible to Jesus plus. I mean, when you're hurting, aren't you just looking for some answer that might help? And very subtly, we can be kidnapped from Christ. And Paul reminds us it'll be of no value. There is no magic lamp. There is no rabbit foot. And you don't have to learn, you know, wax on, wax off with a lamp. It, it, it's not there. All you need is Christ. Look at verse 9. In Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Verse 10. And you have been filled in Him. You don't need anything else. And people are constantly trying to get us to think we need something else. If you just added this to your life with Christ, then your life would work. If you just started adding this to your life, if you had this experience, and whenever we're hurting, we're just looking for something that's going to help. And Paul says, anything you choose other than Christ alone, is going to be empty. You know what's interesting about generators? When they hook that 40,000-watt puppy up to my house, before they hooked it up, they said, you need to go off and turn off that little dinky generator of yours. 
And I said, okay, why? They said, well, because we're hooking a generator up to your main line, and then you've got things running that it will go at odds with the generator, and you'll short out the whole house. It's like, oh, okay, I better go do that. Well, that's sort of, you can either trust yourself or you can trust Christ. But if you try to trust Christ and yourself, it always leads to a short. So what we're talking about here is what Braxton talked about, what Sue prayed about. We're talking about the waltz again. The waltz is a three-step dance with Christ through which we abide in Him. Repent, believe, fight. Just like a conversion, repent and believe the gospel. Reaffirm your union with Christ. That's the part of the belief step. And then look to Jesus in faith, understanding that the look to Jesus in faith releases supernatural power. That's abiding in Christ. And then the fight step is the result of abiding in Christ. Repent, believe, abide. And that leads to the fight step. You don't get those wires crossed. See, we're talking here about the obedient life. Every Christian knows we're called to be obedient. What's hotly debated is the on-ramp to obedience. That's what's hotly debated in our day. You need to know that. Which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Well, clearly in this one, the chicken does. Abide in Christ. That leads to obedience. Abide in Christ in the truth abide in Christ in faith, and then lastly, abide in Christ in victory. Uh, People are always wanting to give us counsel on how to live the victorious Christian life, aren't they? This is what you need for victory. You need this experience. You need to go to this retreat. You need to go to that counselor. They're wanting to add all, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with any of those things, retreats, counselors, all that. But victory is in Christ alone. Victory is from abiding in Christ. First of all, uh, the Colossians were wondering, maybe, maybe you know people like this, maybe my life's a wreck because I'm just constantly being attacked by demons. And I need to figure out, how do I engage in power encounter? How, how do I engage in rebuking the demons? How do, how do I really get involved in spiritual warfare? And if I could just do that, then maybe my life would work. Paul says, you don't need that. Verse 10, Jesus is the head of all rule and authority. He's talking about demonic powers. And verse 15, he's disarmed them through the cross, put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. He's completely disarmed the powers of darkness against us. But we need to abide in Christ through repentance and faith. The picture is of, a, of a, a, a Roman general who has defeated all of the enemies and his soldiers are with him in a victory parade. The general, King Jesus is at first, we are his soldiers whom he has protected and freed and behind us is the defeated enemy. And Paul says you need to understand that abiding in Christ is looking to Jesus and appropriating this as true. 
And then, of course, he talks about circumcision and baptism, and he's talking there about spirit circumcision, spirit baptism. So we have, what, three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The way we overcome the devil is in Christ. The way we overcome the flesh is in Christ. And the way we overcome condemnation is in Christ as well. Look at verses 13 and 14. Or, yeah, 13 and 14. Um, it talks about this, this IOU that we owe God. And don't we still wrestle with shame and guilt and condemnation sometimes? Well, Paul puts it in terms of an IOU. It actually normally was the crimes of the person that was being crucified. And they were nailed to that person's cross. And that's why they were suffering and being tortured and killed. Paul says that, that Christ took all of our IOUs that result from our disobedience of the law. See, again, obedience to God's word matters. But Paul is saying he nailed it to the cross. He paid it in full. He paid our debt. So you no longer need to give in to shame and guilt and self-condemnation. And people want to give you all these tools to work through shame and guilt and condemnation. Some of them may be healthy, but Paul is saying you don't need any of them. All you need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ is taking care of all your guilt, all your shame, all your condemnation. And when you trust the gospel, when you look to Christ to abide in him, when you least feel you deserve to look to Christ and be free of shame and condemnation, that faith actually releases and actualizes the supernatural power of the living God. Is this making sense? This is huge. This is the Christian life. This is how God works his power through us. It's all related to our faith in Christ. The Christian life doesn't work apart from faith in Christ. Just like that diesel generator had to be refilled with diesel every once in a while. Christ doesn't run dry. Our faith might. Our faith is the fuel that keeps our experience of the power of the generator running. The Christian life is by faith. Do you remember a couple years ago, there was an attack on people in the Taj Mahal in Mumbai, uh, India, and 200 people were killed. These terrorists came in and just started shooting. Uh, at least one guy survived. I don't know if others did, but at least one guy did. And uh, everybody in the room was dead. And he was interviewed afterwards and said, how do you survive? He said, I don't know. I was eating my dinner and uh, people started shooting. And somebody, I don't even know who, but they yanked me under the table. And then the terrorists kept on shooting um, <clears throat> and people all around me were dead. And then the guys left. And when the guy was interviewed, the reporter said, how did you survive? And anybody else get killed? And this is what he said. I suppose because I was covered in someone else's blood. They thought I was dead. If you know Jesus, you've been covered in someone else's blood. And it's the answer to living out the Christian life. Realizing that the victory we have 
the hope we have is in the truth that we've been covered in someone else's blood. What I'm talking about here today, in a sense, I know this is going to sound quite right, but I can't think of how else to put it, is living our lives day to day sacramentally. Okay, this is the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. In other words, there's a mystery here that the power of Christ is present here. Please hear me. Just like Numbers 21. Real power. Not pretend power. Not power of internal motivation. Not power of, oh, I'm encouraged. I think I'll live better. Not the power of, oh, I know God loves me. I guess I'll try harder. No, no. I'm talking about real power of the Holy Spirit. Just like there was power from heaven when people looked in faith at the promise of God in the bronze serpent. On the night it was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Then after supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for remission of sins of many. Drink from it, all of you, and give thanks. Now, the power is not in the bread, okay? This isn't a magic lamp. This isn't a rabbit's foot, okay? The power is in the promise of God. 1 Corinthians 10 and 11 promises real supernatural power when we waltz to the table. We come repentantly. We partake believingly. And we leave fightingly. Fighting against sin. Fighting for righteousness. And as we engage in this sacrament by faith, God releases, actualizes supernatural power. And what I'm saying is this entire sermon of abiding in Christ is taking the table with you all week long. Because it's the same illustration. Okay? Abiding in Christ is looking to Christ the way we're looking to Christ here. And we waltz. And that leads to the Spirit-filled life, abiding in Christ, whatever you want to call it. Let's pray. Father, set apart these elements from their common use. We recognize they're simply bread and the fruit of the vine. But yet your word promises that as we come in repentance and faith, you release supernatural power in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So God, forgive us our unbelief. We do believe. Help our unbelief. In Jesus' name.